How are you doing? Happy long weekend. I trust it feels long and good to you. I think we have a slide coming up for the connection card. Just want to emphasize again, if you want to know what's going on, you can do two things. One is sign up for the e-connect and the email blast. The other thing you can do that my friend told me he didn't do yesterday is he doesn't really read them. So you can sign up for them and then you can read them. I, I've been talking about just signing up and getting them, but I realized I need to talk about signing up and reading them. So if you sign up and read them, you are going to have a better chance of being informed. And I won't say the guy's name because I don't want to throw Mr. Stangland under the bus. <laughs> and on the other side is the opportunity to... Uh, give and we'll leave that up for a moment. I want to say thank you to everybody who makes the men's and women's breakfasts operate that have been going. That takes a lot of work and a lot of planning. I want to say thank you to those of you who are able to make it and attend to make it successful. Yesterday was the men's breakfast. Scott spoke and uh, he spoke about our giving. And he, he talked about trusting God enough with our finances in order to sow, to sow and then to see the reaping. And he talked about tithing and he talked about how illogic, illogical it is for us to trust God with a little bit of money and assume that he will be able to provide for all the aspects of our life. We trust him in a little bit. He provides for all of it. So we give back to God out of what he's already given to us. It's not the other way around. We give a little bit to God out of what we've gotten for ourselves. All we have to give to God is what he's given to us. And we give it back to him as an act of worship because when we honor people with our, God with our finances and give to him, it's worship. It's showing what we value in giving it to him that we value him more. We give it to God as an act of trust and obedience because he commands us to be generous. And we give as an act of faith, the sowing, like the farmers putting seed in the ground with no guarantee that there'll be a crop, but a great belief and faith so much so that they actually put it in the ground hundreds of days in advance of it coming up. We seed in advance. Luke chapter 6 verse 38 says, give and it will be given to you. So I realize... That sometimes when we talk about giving, we talk about it in depth. Sometimes we preach on it. Lots of times um, we just mention it as an opportunity. And so I want to be somewhere in the middle and take a couple minutes today to talk about it. And one question for some people might be, well, how much do I give? I don't actually know even what would be normal. I don't know where to start. And so my encouragement to you is just simply pray and start doing something if you need to start. There's lots of teaching in the Bible about the tithe, and that's giving 10% of your income, and it seems to be a good place to start for some people, and it seems like a good place for people to uh, work towards to get to. But in the New Testament, there's not quite as much said directly about the tithe, and part of that reason, I think, is we move from law to grace, which isn't an exclusion of what God has asked for us, but as we can read Love is the fulfillment of the law. And so when we love God, we are not trying to get away with the most minimum thing that we can get away with in regards of our finances to him. 
How many of you think my wife would really appreciate it if I expressed all my love, saying, I'm going to get you a dozen roses, and I show up with a rose petal? Does she feel, a better example would have been, honey, I'm going to get you a dozen roses, and I show up with leftover rose petals equaling a dozen roses. It kind of is a leftovers. It's kind of not what the way that shows love to her. So the Bible talks about the generosity in the New Testament, talks about the, the standard of generosity. 2 Corinthians 9.10, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. God's heart towards us is one of generosity, and if we're going to become like Jesus, it means that we have a heart of generosity towards him and towards others in our time, in our talents, and in our treasures. So I want to encourage you to work it out with Jesus, because In the end, you don't answer to me, you don't answer to the elders, you don't answer to this church. When we're generous, we're we're obviously not just asking about you giving finances to this particular body. There's other ministries, other places to give. So you don't answer to us in your definition of generosity, but one day you come face to face with God. And as your pastor, it's my job to express to you that you will one day account for how you've spent your finances. And I would like you to be able to see, yeah, Jesus, remember, we talked it out and we got to the point and you increased my heart of generosity and I grew in generosity in my time and my talent and my treasures. And so as your pastor, I'm encouraging you that while we talk about giving, the real issue is the generosity of your heart and trusting him with your all, of which finances is a great tangible real way of doing it and also a symbolic area of your whole life because it encompasses so much of how you spend your time how you spend your money what you do for your entertainment it's symbolic of all that so we are praying that we will be continue to be a generous church will you pray along with us do you want to be a generous church Because the other option is, and the Rock Church has 25 years, close to 30 years of history of other people being generous towards us. Some of you know that better than others. But there's times that this place has highly depended on the generosity and favor of other churches and other Christians outside that have desired to see what we do grow and flourish. And it's beginning to come full circle that while we still need the support and want to be part of the bigger community, that we actually nurture and go after generosity in our own hearts so that generosity spills over and we become part of the blessing in the greater kingdom, not just the recipients of it. Amen? Amen. Jesus, I don't think we all like to hear about finances all the time and we know how much bad press the church gets talking about money, so I... I submit this hopefully respectfully and honorably to you today as part of my worship to you. And I ask that you would cause our hearts to be stirred, that where there's sin and rebellion in regards to our finances, where there's hurt and mistrust in regards to finances, that you would be working in and healing our hearts so that we can first obey you in the idea of finances, but then grow past that to align to your heart of generosity.
So God, for the finances that have been given in the past, we thank you for the finances that have been given this year. Thank you. And for the finances that are yet to come today and in this year ahead, we thank you. And we express our need and we put our trust in you, not in man, to provide that which you are calling us to do. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, amen. So, carrying on with the idea of finances for just a moment before I get preaching, I want to bring you on an update of the property north of the 228 building. Do we have a picture of that property for those who don't know? That is the Rock Church that it's been for 20 or 25 years that we do a bunch of ministry out of now. And that building over there is the property on 37 and a half feet of beautiful, luxurious northern resort property <laughs> of the Rock Church. And we are so grateful to Darlene for offering that property to us when she didn't have to and could have, could have put it up to the general public. And so uh, we are paying $125,000 for that property. And in November, that's when this project came to you to raise money for. And by the end of November, through our fundraising banquet, we had raised half that money. And the elders had moved forward in figuring out and solidifying financing for the other half. And I told you that I believed that we could pray and raise the whole amount. Do you remember that? You are out there, right? <laughs> Help me out. It's the long weekend. I want to feel some life in this place. You're about to get alive. Stand up with me as I show you the number that has been raised and pledged as of this very moment towards $125,000. Turn to somebody and give them a high five or shake their hand and say, praise God. Then you may be seated. So that is something amazing to be celebrated, that God would provide for us to do that. And I want you to know, I don't know how cynical some people are out there based on what I'm about to say, but I want you to say this isn't a setup. This is actually what's been given and pledged is $124,000 of $125,000. This is what I think is happening right now, is that there's a bunch of people out there saying, I can top that off. I can finish that. I know so because I told somebody this last week and they said, I think I should just finish that right now. And I said, let's talk about it next Sunday. So we're talking about it this Sunday. And so I want to encourage you that if you are feeling like you should just top that off, then just do it, write the check, do the e-transfer, memo it for the building. But I also want to speak to those who say somebody else will take care of that that there's closing costs and there's taxes and there's going to be other expenses like fencing, that if we get more than 125000 and you give to that, you're just giving to the completion of the project, not just the purchase of it is what I'm trying to say. So if you feel like you want to give one more push to help us get where we need to get there for the purchase plus past it, then please do so. And let's give the Lord another round of applause for his faithfulness. Thank you, Jesus. How many of you like redemption stories? Something's gone bad and it, and it works out in the end. I can see you. Put up your hands if you like redemption stories. You might be shadows, but I see you. 
Lee and I are in the 20th year of living in our townhouse. God gave us a townhouse that we paid for, didn't just give it to us, but he's paid for it. We love it. It's a corner unit. I don't have to do outside maintenance. I don't have to shovel my own snow. I don't have to cut the grass. I've uh, spent all my outdoor energy at camp. <laughs> if you, Lest you sound energy, I have zero appetite for outdoor work because God has allowed me to spend it all at camp. But we've had a number of neighbors over the years, and we're at the end of three connected units, so we have a common wall. And about 10 years ago, a neighbor moved in, who I'm going to call Jack. Jack was a businessman in a company here in Saskatoon. From everything you could tell, he was a successful guy. He was a nice guy, nice car, professional, but not all was as it appeared, apparently. I tried to catch him a number of times, and when I caught him, because he would drive in his garage and then walk straight in through the attached garage so he didn't stick around a lot but sometimes I could catch him and visit and talk and he was he was polite but but it wasn't the whole wanting to dig in he wasn't looking to be best friends or anything like that and then there came a season where something took a turn not in our relationship but in his life and while I still don't claim to know all the details of Jack's life we began to hear banging in the on the other side of our wall at weird times of the day I began to see that Jack wasn't leaving the garage as often as he was one day I saw food being delivered and the door opened a crack and literally two bandaged hands reached out to get the food and pull it back in and we came to learn later that Jack had a significant issue with alcohol and the banging was him falling into walls. Falling down the stairs. And today I'm talking about the obstacles of loving your neighbor with the title, The Surprising Impact of Love. That love has to be present in such a strong way to dispel fear for us actually to get to where God is leading us to. Because I stayed on my side of the wall, on my side of the door, because I was a little intimidated of Jack. What would he say? Is it any of my business? I stand up in front of you today not as somebody who rocked it as loving their neighbor when they recognized there was distress. You're looking at a preacher who for a period of time withdrew and isolated because he didn't know what to do. What would he say? What would he think? Do I have permission to ask? Then one day I was on the roof of my garage washing my bedroom window and I decided to wash Jack's window so I just stepped over to his side and as I was washing his window I recognized inside the blind wasn't drawn that it was basically uninhabited. It looked like nobody was living there. And so I, I wrote a note and put it in the mailbox not knowing if anybody would get it or I, I didn't have his phone number and a few days later his sister called and said that they'd taken to the hospital. His body was not functioning. They didn't know if he would make it. And I asked if I could go visit Jack in the hospital and if there was anything I could do. She said, yes, for sure. So I went and visited Jack and began to do that a couple times. And Jack treated me in a way that I did not deserve as somebody who hadn't stepped in to love him very well. He was super excited to see me to the amount of energy that he had. He wanted me to come back and talk to him. He began to tell me things like, when I looked at your life, 
And I saw you with your beautiful family of wife and kids. I was so jealous and so mad. I'm interpreting his put-offness as his issue. And while there was a piece of it that his issue, his issue became my issue because I didn't have enough love to push past my fear and intimidation to go after what it would mean to love my neighbor. And the redemption part of this story is one day in the hospital, I went out and pushed him outside on a nice sunny day and began to explain the gospel to him and talked about him being created in the image of God and Jesus coming to show us the love of the Father and to teach us the way of the kingdom and then to die for our sins and to rise again to give us victory over death and that there's a place in heaven for us. And I had the privilege of leading Jack to Jesus that day. That's the redemption story. That in the midst of my fear and intimidation, God in his goodness still paved a way that I could share the good news of Jesus. Jack never ever did come home. He was in care in different places for the next few years and I got to visit him there. He talked about coming to church. That never worked out. So he watched Pastor Mark from Church of the Rock on TV. And then in the spring of 2019, when my family and I were on sabbatical in Southeast Asia, I got a phone call from his sister saying that Jack had passed away and asking me to do the funeral, which I obviously was not able to do. But I know today he's in heaven. The surprising impact of love is that if we can get over our discipleship issues and the accusation of the enemy that would keep us locked in fear and shame and condemnation and intimidation, is that Jesus loves them more than we do. And if we can love them well, it creates this channel and this pathway that the love of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit can travel. It's not dependent on us necessarily, but we get to be a part of it. And the challenge for us through this journey, talking about the surprising impact of loving your neighbor, is that you actually will impact your neighbor when you love them. Fear is at the root of all sorts of obstacles and excuses that can get in the way of us loving our neighbor. How are we to overcome that fear? Well, we're going to look at a couple scriptures, some of the ways fear can look like and how we can blow past some of those obstacles as we allow these obstacles to be part of our discipleship and show us where Jesus needs to work in our life. First John chapter 4, 16, picking up where Leah left off. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Why am I talking about fear, but the title is The Surprising Impact of Love? Is because love will change your life. It's not the simple, easy part of Sunday school Christianity. It's the part of where you dig deep into the Bible and you find love to be the core and root issue to the discipleship and followership of Jesus Christ. If you don't understand that love is the crux and the core issue, then the Holy Spirit wants to reveal that to you because all the spiritual gifts, all the spiritual fruit, all the opportunities, all the blessings God gives you is a result of him pouring his love into you so that you can pour his love into the world. The reality is, though, that we aren't guaranteed the results that we want all the time. Why are you scared and afraid of loving your neighbor the way you think you should at times? 
Just pause on that question for a second. What keeps you from loving your neighbor? You heard my story with Jack. My fear, my intimidation, my I'm not good enough. There can be fear. What if they get mad? What if they reject me? What will I say if they ask a question? What will I do? What if I step out but it, and something big happens, but it costs me more of my time, talent, or treasure than I was really expecting to give? It doesn't always work out. We need a right perspective. We're not doing it for a guaranteed result. We have to leave the consequences to God. And the other thing we have to be careful of in regards to loving our neighbor is to make sure we aren't just using them in order to feel good about ourselves. We could actually take the act of love and make it about ourselves and make them the tool that we get the love from. Now, if, if everything works out the way we hope and it becomes an amazing story, like the one I just got to share about Ron and we got to have a, a loving, caring relationship then we bring, we get some of that back. But we don't always get the results that we want, and so we have to make sure that we are actually loving and then releasing the results to Jesus so that we don't take it on ourselves. Fear is an important discipleship tool. In 1997, in the, somewhere in the, around the winter, heading into the spring, there was still snow on the ground, I was doing, we were doing this outreach idea when we had the church at Avenue W and 20th. If you leave here and go to the end of W, you'll see a building that's now for a different religion. We were in there for two years. We were trying to impact that area of Pleasant Hill. And we had heard about this amazing outreach idea where you took a light bulb, put it in a bag, and put a promotion on it that said, Jesus is the light of the world. We want to give you a little light. And so that's what we did. We had a lady go through hundreds of light bulbs, turning them into a socket to make sure that we weren't giving out burnt out light bulbs. And you would be surprised to know that there was a lot of burnt out light bulbs, even though we brought them brand new. So we put this, we had heard this uh, thing happen. We had heard that there were stories like, I don't know if this is the exact story, but this is what it reminisced on my life. I was supposed to buy light bulbs on the way home from work. My wife had been asking me forever, and I had forgot again, but then there was this bag with a light bulb in it, and you saved my marriage. <laughs> there, was, there was a couple stories, maybe not that exact one, but ones like it. And so I'm doing this. I'm the one mostly putting the bags out in the mailboxes all around with this desire of, we're this church here. We want to share the light of Jesus with you. Here's a little light for your day. And so I'm put all these out. I'm waiting at the phone, basically wanting it to ring. And for some miracle story, I was looking for sort of any kind of encouragement in those days <laughs> with a handful of people. I'm waiting. The phone rings one day. The question is asked, are you the church that puts out the light bulbs? And my mouth begins to salivate. I'm excited to hear about how this light bulb saved a marriage. I'm excited on how it saved his life, how it realized that Jesus is the light of the world and he turned his life over to Jesus because of a light bulb in his mailbox. And the conversation went like this, are you the one who put the light bulb in the mailbox? And I said, yes, we are. I just want you to know that my, I sent my young son to get the mail and he reached in and got the bag and it was all broken glass. And that he could have really cut himself. And I don't think this is a very good idea. And he hung up. 
that was not the result for a loving act of kindness that I was hoping to do. I apologized, got off the phone fairly disheartened. But what does the bad reaction that takes place, even in your offer of trying to express intentional love in Jesus' name, what does it tell you about your own discipleship? What is needed? Where are your hopes? Was my hope in a light bulb or was my hope in Jesus? What does it say about their, their situation? Maybe they're more hurt or more needy or more sensitive than we even think and they can't even receive love and they push back and you think it's about you when it's really about their continuing journey and God just used you in another step to expose the need of Jesus in their life. Maybe the results aren't supposed to be what they, we think we want them to be, but we have to step through them and pray and trust that Jesus will lead us in that. There's fear that wants to keep us from actually doing it. But sometimes the fear are voices in our head that sounds an awful lot like us. And it's the fear of accusation. Not the fear of accusation. It's accusation where the enemy is accusing us to God or accusing us to ourselves. Sometimes that voice is yelling at us. And I want you to know that if you have a yelling, mean voice that tells you stuff about yourself or others or God, that that is not the Holy Spirit speaking to you. That the Holy Spirit does not come in loud, angry tones towards you, but that's the sound and the tone of the enemy. And that the tone of Jesus is that of the gentle, meek Savior. Yes, there can be conviction that comes, and yes, it can be stern. But hopefully, like your pastor today, when he talks directly about money and finances and love, you sense that it's coming from a place and motivation of love and care for you, not condemnation of, get off your chairs, you lazy bunch of people. That's the accusation of the enemy. What we need to do is let these obstacles become doorways into our discipleship. 2 Timothy chapter 1 Verse 6 and 7, for this reason I remind you to fan into flames the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit of God gave us, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. For God does not give us a spirit of fear but of love, power, and sound mind. That's the spirit God is giving you, not fear, not accusation. So what do we do? Three things to get. Number one, get real. We need to acknowledge the fear. We need to acknowledge whatever is going on. We need to acknowledge the seed of truth. The seed of truth in my story about Jack was I did feel intimidated. I did feel not enough. So I had to take that to Jesus and repent of my self-sufficiency and my pride that would judge, judge myself that way. There was a piece of sin in the midst of the fear and what was going on. We need to confess that and truthfully give over to Jesus. And then we need to get real and acknowledge what are the lies and the accusations. We need to deal with the sin piece that's part of our own. And we need to deal with the spiritual warfare, the accusation where the enemy wants to sideline us and paralyze us from doing that which Jesus wants us to do. We need to acknowledge and bring it to Jesus. The second thing after get real is to get washed. Following Jesus is a bloody idea. Following Jesus is a bloody idea. 
we talk, I talk about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, his body broken, and his blood spilt. But if I, and forgive me, am only talking about the blood of Jesus in a polite, politically correct, clean, sanitized kind of way, your pastor has been wrong because this is a bloody religion. In the sense that Jesus' blood spilt. It says he was the lamb that was slain. And in the Old Testament when lambs and bulls and goats were being slain, blood was going everywhere. It was flowing around the altar because it was covering and taking the place of sin. Jesus' blood covers and washes us. And we need to get underneath the blood. It's not blood like a thimble full enough to a little dab will do you. We actually need to get washed in the cleansing, sanctifying work of Jesus Christ that he did through the blood being spilt on the cross. We need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. We need to be under the blood so that we're washed and the sin is taken away, but that we're under, that it's like protection under the power of Jesus that those accusations can't purse, purse through and get to us. We need to take our rightful place in the blood of Jesus Christ. And then number three, we need to get loving. That we love ourselves by the grace that Jesus gives us. That we can appreciate that we are made in his image and not have that negative accusation, negative self-talk. But recognize that God loves us so much he gave his life. And then we love others. What are the opportunities for loving your neighbor once we deal with fear and shame and the obstacles? Once we recognize that those are actually meant to drive us closer to Jesus, that we can be more intimate Jesus with Jesus and have more love so that we can operate out of love rather than just trying to stomach the amount of fear that we have to handle that day. Number one is you have to step into it with your neighbors. Some neighbors are just, some situations are just coincidental. They'll be intent. We, we aren't using the phrase random acts of kindness because there's nothing random about what we're doing. We're intentionally looking for opportunities to love people in Jesus' name. And you don't have to know their name in order to do that, which is why there can be opportunities just present themselves in the middle of the day. But there's other times where you're being intentional and stepping into it. So how do you step into it? It might just be getting to know the names of the neighbors on the north, east, west, and south encourage you to do that step into it and get to know some names figure out how you're going to find the excuse to do that take them some food encourage them did you know that there's a huge encouragement deficit in the world we talk about the financial debt of canada and how we're going to pay enough taxes to get out of debt almost if not greater is the encouragement debt that people don't they don't live with encouragement there's moms and dads and businessmen and employers and kids and teenagers going to work and life and school every day, not encouraged, just trying to have enough gumption to get through the day. If all you do is encourage somebody in this room today and you say, I don't know what Dallas was talking about, plus he talked about money, heaven forbid, you could at least encourage somebody, find somebody and encourage them. Secondly, you can pray into it. Once you know their name, Pray for them. Pray for opportunities. Ask Holy Spirit to speak to you about what is particular about that situation. During COVID, we did some special things as a church and, and talked to 
families in specific and ask them something I would never have done before and I don't know if we'll ever do again, but that first Christmas of COVID, we talked to our families and asked them what they need. Some families got furniture, some families got cookie decorating kits. Leah prayed for the family that we were given and she at the last minute threw in pink hairspray. And we went and delivered some furniture. We went and delivered this gift package. And the lady was most excited about the pink hairspray because she was just about to go get some. That was on her mind and to-do list for what she was doing. Pray into it for specific opportunities. And then lean into the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 20, it talks about how the disciples were locked away. They were afraid. Jesus came among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said... Then it says in verse 22, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, you do not have to do this on your own power. Pray for them, but also pray that we would be empowered and filled and changed and transformed by the Holy Spirit. That we would be operating and loving our neighbors by direct power and intervention of the Holy Spirit. Do not have to do this alone. You do not have to do this alone. This is a discipleship issue of our lives, learning to love others. And the Holy Spirit wants to be a part of it. And if we allow the fear and the shame and the accusations to be dealt with, it actually moves us not just to love, it moves us into freedom. You will breathe easier with less accusation, less fear. You will move freer. You will be more enjoyable and you will enjoy more. I get to do something pretty special with you guys right now that I would have never thought was possible. Felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to talk to our neighbor who's selling us this property and said, would you ever do a conversation? We've had kind of an interesting journey of loving our neighbor over 24 years. Would you have a conversation that we could video and then I'll play it back to you. Alicia will get it ready, edit it down to a few minutes. And if you're okay with it, we will play it to the congregation on Sunday. And she didn't even breathe. She said, yes. And so you're going to step into a four-minute conversation with the owner of the property about what it was like to love and her view of the Rock Church. Hello, church. And I am happy to invite you into this conversation that I get to have today with my friend Darlene. Darlene, who most of you would have not met, is the owner of the house to the north of the church who has approached us in the past year and offered to sell us that lot. And I thought it would be pretty cool if Darlene and I could have a conversation with you uh, being a part of it, talking about the journey of the last 24 years when we first became neighbors. In 2000, January 1st, 2000, some of you remember it as Y2K, That's when uh, this building was purchased by a new owner and we began to rent space to have church here as the Rock Church. What, what, What was your first impression 24 years ago when you realized that some church was starting to use this building that was used for something else all the years before that? In reality, I don't remember the times and the weddings and stuff like that, because I didn't spend a lot of time at the house. Right. You're, you're was, the owner, but you used it, it was, as a rental. It was a rental property. Yeah. And quite often, my tenants caused me stress. So the only time I was here was that when it was stressful. You talked about tenants causing you stress. And one of my first recollections of interaction with you, I don't know how many years ago it would be, you were there 
cleaning up your property from some of the mess that that tenants had caused and I don't know if you remember this but I came by to say hi and you just kind of stared at me uh, I think you had the the thought at that time that I had called the authorities and reported you and they were making you clean that place up do you remember that situation at all not really <laughs> <laughs> and but there's lots of things that I've blocked out in life because it's just easier yeah yeah for sure you know but um, I was never in a situation where I blamed anybody other than the people that were there because they didn't care mm. whether they destroyed the place or left it a mess or cut the lawn or whatever. Yeah. You know, they just seemingly took advantage of the situation if I wasn't there on their case all the time. I remember my piece of it was wanting to be a good neighbor and recognizing the stress you were under in those different moments of interaction with your tenants. And we began to shovel snow the time we helped clear out brush from the backyard and haul it away. And what do you attribute it to that our relationship as neighbors over 20 years grew to the place where we can be sitting in comfortable chairs? What, what do you think brought us to this point today? I think just caring about people. Hmm. You know, I've kind of always spent my life trying to make someone else's life better. Mm -hmm. And I know how hard it is in this neighborhood for people who are struggling to be able to get out of the circle and make it so they have something better than what it was yesterday. Yeah that you have this huge compassion and heart for people that don't have a lot or find themselves in difficult situations. And I remember going away from that conversation just feeling like that's a special lady because she, she's willing to sacrifice her own trouble, stress, and property in order to help people. And thank you for being a great neighbor and for working with us and being supportive of us and uh, trust God's blessing on you in all that's ahead. Thank you. Yeah. And I truly wish this church flourishes, hmm. not just for the people that know about it right now, but for other people that are going to get to know about it. Wow. Because I think there's a lot of people that don't really recognize what this church accomplishes. Because God is here to share his ability to make people the best they can be. So I hear you saying that... Riversdale can handle more of the Rock Church, not less of the Rock Church. Oh, absolutely more. <laughs> absolutely more. That's great. Well, thank you for that encouragement, Darlene. I appreciate it and look forward to uh, carrying on this relationship and having you be involved and, and uh, come be a part of it when you want to be a part of it. Thank you so much. Yeah. The worship team is coming now. That was pretty special and fun to be, get to be a part of. I don't know if you caught that the interview was over and she kept talking. And that's when it went into the whole kind of blessing and benediction and prayer over the Rock Church about the type of place this can be. It was pretty, pretty awesome to see. The opportunity ahead of us is to be doing spontaneous not, we might be doing spontaneous acts of intentional love, or we might be doing planned acts of intentional love. But whatever is happening, the motivation is love. And if we have fear in the way, it will keep us from doing that which is presented to us. 
If there is fear, if there is shame, if there is accusation, it's not something to run away from and stop doing acts of love. The intent is to bring that to Jesus, invite Jesus into it, repent of any sin, give him over the fear, ask the Holy Spirit to cleanse your heart and life, and then begin to step into it again. I'm going to invite you to just reflect on that, reflect on this song. You might sing a bit in this song. You might just listen to it. I'm going to come back and lead us in a prayer around that.